Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I would encourage you to actually open it up to Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bible this morning, I encourage you to bring it on Sunday mornings. Why? It's just a good habit. Uh, we should be reading it. We should be uh, taking notes. We should be doing those things. And if, if you don't have a Bible or a, a good Bible, we have uh, some available for you. They're actually in the foyer area on that uh, piece of furniture that Amar there. We have some free Bibles. And if you need a, a Bible, pick one up after the service. Uh, we would love for you to, to have one because I think it's important for us to be in the Word uh, reading uh, the Scriptures. And here uh, we're going to be looking at kind of verse by verse a little bit. Uh, Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. Now, parents, here they come. So find your child or if you want them back. It's your call, I guess. <laughs> this morning we are going to be looking at this summary statement that we have right at the beginning of Acts in verses 1 through 11. It tells the story of the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And so we're just going to dive right in and see where we end up this morning. It starts out like this. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught. Uh, from the beginning until the day when he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. I want us to stop there for just a moment. The book of Acts was written by a disciple named Luke who also wrote the gospel of Luke. So Luke and Acts are two volumes, the same book, but two volumes. Uh, and Luke was a physician and also a companion of Paul on many of his missionary journeys. Uh, we also know that Luke uh, wrote both because the Gospel of Luke starts with the same type of introduction. In Luke chapter 1, verse 3, it's, it says this, I too, this is Luke speaking, decided after investigating everything carefully from the first from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So both books start with this kind of introduction and writing to this man named Theophilus. And so Luke and Acts, two volumes, one book. And we see in the Gospel of Luke, Luke focuses on Jesus, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, and even ends with his ascension. And now here in the beginning of Acts, these first 11 verses we have are a summary statement wrapping up everything that we just read in Luke. And we'll see here in just a moment the purpose of the book of Acts. It also tells us the purpose as Luke gives us an outline of what is to come. So let's continue on in verse 3. After his suffering, that's Jesus' suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Such an important verse. And I don't want us to just rush by that one. Uh, after Jesus' suffering, after his death, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. Luke's, Luke wants us to understand that the resurrection actually happened. That Jesus was dead and now he is alive. Physically alive. And so he comes 
and he eats with them, and they see him eating, and, and he comes, and we see when Thomas doesn't believe, and, and, and he tells Thomas, you know, put your hands uh, on uh, the nail holes and on the, the, the scar on my side so that they could physically touch them, they could see him, they could speak with him. And he continues to speak with them and convinces them it's really him. It took a little convincing. And he does this for 40 days. And so for these 40 days, he speaks to them about the kingdom of God. See, this, this is important, this physical resurrection, because too many people today, they, they focus on Jesus' teaching, his life, and his example, yet they deny that he actually rose from the dead. That part they have a hard time with. But Luke wants us to understand that he did indeed rise from the dead. This isn't metaphor. This is actual fact. Without the resurrection, what follows doesn't matter. Jesus wants us to make sure that we understand the implications of this. And so for 40 days, he talks to them and he teaches them and he talks about the kingdom of God. And, and, and this, is a, this is a theme that we see throughout the gospel of Luke, this first Volume, this kingdom of God. In Luke 4 43, he says this I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for that was why I was sent. In Luke 9 2, he said, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. In Luke 13, he says this Then people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. In Luke 12 31, he says this Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. This is a continuation of the message to his disciples and to us. And I don't want us to miss out on this. Think about it. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's hanging out with his disciples for 40 days. And he speaks about one thing. The kingdom of God. Do you think that understanding God's kingdom is important? Maybe so. If that's the one thing he's telling them about. And in fact, in the New Testament, what is the most talked about subject in the New Testament? I bet you can figure it out. Anyone? The kingdom of God. There you go. You're, you're catching on. You're quick. Here we go. And so we know that the Jews and the disciples, they struggled with this idea of the kingdom of God. In fact, they're still struggling with this. And this idea of the kingdom and its implications. So the disciples, they rightly asked Jesus about it. Just a couple of verses down, we read this. So when they come together, they ask him, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time? I mean, we've been waiting. Is this it? Is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? But how does Jesus respond? He says this, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. I don't know about you, but I'm not a fan of that answer. I I'm, I'm just don't like that. I would really like to know the time. I, but Jesus is, is deflecting the question, shifting the focus so that we aren't concerned so much about knowledge, but more about our mission, our purpose. Jesus is telling us, don't worry about when. God's got that under control. You are to do what you were called to do. See, 
for the Jews and the disciples, the kingdom of God had been about overthrowing a corrupt political system and gaining back power. But for Jesus and for us, the kingdom of God is truly about the rule of God in our hearts. Do you hear that? The kingdom of God is about the rule of God inside of us. And that rule of God has implications for how we live our life. It is the restoration of the Jews and us as a people of God. It is a heart transplant. It is transformation. It is the understanding that the kingdom of God should be ruling in our hearts completely right now. And the understanding that the kingdom of God will one day come in the future as well to rule not only in our hearts now, but to make everything else right and to rule the entire world and make it right. Does that make sense? So you might hear pastors or theologians talk about the kingdom of God is the now and the not yet. And so we live in the kingdom of God now that should be ruling in our hearts, that should be transforming how we do life, that should be uh, ruling everything we do. And we wait in anticipation for the kingdom of God that is the not yet. When Jesus will come back and make everything right and rule over everyone. That's the kingdom of God that we live in, the now and the not yet So let's go back to what Jesus says to his disciples. He says this, While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus tells them, wait. Wait in Jerusalem. How many of you like waiting? Yeah? Not me either. It's one of the toughest things we have to do is to wait. But so often in Scripture, we are reminded, wait. Wait for the timing. Wait for the right time. Wait on the Lord. But here's where things get really interesting. He tells them that John baptized with water, but they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, there is no way they could anticipate what was coming. It would be in 10 days at Pentecost when the Spirit of God would, would fall upon them. You, you know the story. We're going to talk about that next week. So you got to come back for that story, when the Spirit of God fell upon them. But, but then Jesus tells them this. He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What a powerful verse this is. We're going to linger here for a moment. In fact, let's say it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One more time. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are the last recorded words of Jesus while on earth. Also, this is a summary of what is going to take place throughout the book of Acts. So if you know this verse, 
you know what Acts is about. Acts is about the disciples receiving the Spirit of God and them being witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you know this verse, you know Acts, and you actually know the outline of Acts. There it is, right there. And how you interpret this verse has huge implications for your life as well. Now you might be asking how, why? Well, here it is. Here's the question. And, and does this verse, because Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking to the 11 disciples. You know, there were 12, but Judas killed himself, right? Here's the 11. He's speaking. He says, you'll receive power. So if this verse, how many of you believe this verse only applies to the 11 and not to us? Anybody? It's okay if you do. How many of you think this verse applies to us as well? Anybody? How many of you don't know? <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love honesty. See, if this verse only applies to the 11 disciples, we're off the hook. Whew. We don't really need to read any further, other than oh, it's a pretty cool story. But if this verse applies to us, then that changes everything. That's a game changer. Jesus' last recorded words, his mission statement to us, his calling for us. What is it? To be witnesses. Where are we called to be witnesses? Well, if you understand the context, Jerusalem, right here. Let's translate it. Canyon, Texas. Judea and Samaria. The panhandle of Texas. And some of those Yankees. And the ends of the earth. We know that, right? Right? That's, that's what it's saying. And we're to be witnesses not when we feel like it, not when it's convenient, but everywhere at all times. This is our purpose. This is our calling. And what is a witness? A witness is someone who speaks what they have seen or heard. Someone who gives evidence of something. And here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to do this. But this is where I scratch my head a little bit. I see a lot of powerless Christians. I see a lot of powerless Christians. But Jesus says that the Spirit will give us what? Power. So why are so many of us powerless? Why are so many Christians inept when it comes to being a witness. Why are so many Christians powerless? I see several reasons for this. First reason I see is, first, some have never been transformed by the Holy Spirit. We think of the Holy Spirit as a, as a force, kind of like Star Wars. It's kind of out there, just this force that might come upon us. But that's not what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a person. Think of the personhood of the Spirit. It is the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a person, not a force. It is personal. The Spirit should have a personal relationship with us. So when we're talking about the Spirit, it's a personal thing. And we should fall in love with the Spirit of God. 
Jesus talks about the Spirit as being our advocate, our comforter, the one who brings us courage and power. But for us to actually tap into that power, we have to have the power source of the Spirit that leads our life. We, we have to allow the Spirit to transform our hearts. Second, too many of us are like the disciples before the ascension. We want power, but for the wrong reason. You see, for the wrong things. We want to be in charge. We want to know the time. We want to be in control of that. We want to have power to command people and to lead, to overthrow, to have influence. All those are, some of those are okay. But, but that's the wrong type of power that the Spirit is giving us. What's the power for? To be a witness of God's kingdom. Third, we don't have power because we have forgotten our purpose. We have forgotten our calling. Or we never knew our purpose. Being a witness for Christ is not one purpose among a lot of purposes in our life. It is the purpose in our life. I, I see so many Christians who, who act like a, a salesman who is on commission and spends all his day sitting at the desk in his office saying, I wonder when they're going to come in. What does a salesman have to do? Go out. Knock on doors, call people, you know, right. But, but, and they scratch their head. I, I don't know why I'm not making any money. Sitting at my desk, I show up at work every day. They're not coming in. We, we've forgotten our purpose. If we don't live with a passion for his purpose, then we will not have any power. The Spirit gives the power. We are just called to be faithful witnesses. The Spirit is the one that changes life. We are called to proclaim the life. And so here's the thing. So, so often we're powerless because we think people might reject us. Oh, what if I say something and they, don't, they reject what I say? It doesn't matter. See, we forget our part. Our role is to be the witness. Whose part is it to convert? The Spirit. The Spirit is the one who transforms the life. We're just called to speak. We're just called to act. It's speaking and acting both. It's knowing the truth and living the truth and sharing the example, giving that. If, if we, we don't do that, then lives won't be changed. The Spirit is the one that changes lives. We are called to proclaim the life. But let's move on. Let's look at what happens next in the text. He says this, When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight while he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven. Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. There it is, the ascension. And, and we see in the imagery this powerful picture. Can you imagine being there? I would have liked to have been there for that, to see it happen. This powerful picture of Jesus going up into the heavens. The picture of the cloud, that he's going up in the cloud. It, it draws us back to the Old Testament in imagery of the Spirit of God and of, of God's power. When, when Moses and Elijah, specifically those two, we see in Moses when he went up to the mountain and the cloud surrounded the mountain, the, the cloud of God's glory. We see how the people of Israel were led through the 
through the desert by a cloud, a pillar in the wilderness. We see in Elijah, when Elijah was taken up into heaven, he was taken up by that chariot in the cloud of, of, of glory as he went up into heaven. And so as Jesus is ascending, it is this image of Jesus becoming king. He is being crowned and throned as king and Messiah. The resurrected Jesus going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And this text is also a beautiful reminder that God is with us. That as Jesus leaves, he says, I will not leave you alone. And we remember again the, the birth narratives of Jesus and when they called Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. And now as Jesus is taken into heaven, God is going to be with us again but with his spirit. So that we don't have to be physically present with Jesus. He can only be physically present with so many people at a time. But now his spirit can be with all of us at all times. And not only are we called to be God's witnesses, but there are two men dressed in white who are witnesses as well. Where have we seen this before? These two men in white robes as witnesses? Do you remember? In Luke. In Luke. We see two men with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. Who were they? Moses and Elijah. We see further as the women come to the tomb, we see two men dressed in white proclaiming the witness that Jesus isn't there, but that he has been raised from the dead. Each of these incidents gives witness to Jesus. From the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke, we see the cloud again overtake them and hear God's voice as God witnesses to the disciples. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. From the empty tomb, we see the witnesses, the two witnesses speak out, go and tell the disciples he is risen. And here at the ascension, we hear the words of these two witnesses. Jesus has been taken up to heaven and he will come again as you saw it. And now it's our turn. We are now the witnesses. We are now the ones who proclaim and live. See, the ascension gives us power through the Spirit to be witnesses of God's kingdom. It is through the ascension that we've been given the power through the Spirit to be witnesses. So what's your next step? Are you living in power? Are you a powerful witness for Christ? If not, what's holding you back? Why haven't you tapped into that power? Maybe that's your next step is to pray about, God, transform my life so that I can be a witness for you. Or, or maybe we don't live in expectation. We forget that. We have to have an expectation that God will and can move. We, we expect that God heals. We expect that God will show up. We expect that I'm going to interact with someone today and I can make a difference and I can be a witness. If you leave this place and have that expectation, I bet this week you will have an opportunity. But we miss it because we don't tap into God's power through the Spirit. Let us pray.